Already in setting up, we've had a couple of visitors kind of straggle in through the, that corner door, um, just folks from the community just kind of wandering in. That's great. If it happens again, we're just going to roll with it. Uh, we'll see what happens, right? Maybe they'll come in and join us, you know, just part of, part of being open to the community like this. So what sort of um, heart-filled habits do you have with your families and with your friends? What sort of habits have you created with them to sort of stir up uh, your affections for one another, to celebrate the fact that, that, that you guys are friends or family? One of the things that Molly and I do on a regular basis, well, I mean, when it comes up, you know what I mean, but on our anniversary, we love to tell our kids the story of how we met. And what's really fun about this is that they, they never get bored of it. They always want to see pictures of, of us dating. Sometimes we'll share letters uh, that we used to write one another when we were dating. All these events that were leading up to uh, us actually getting married. It's a lot of fun. So maybe some of you take annual trips with college roommates. Some of you maybe call your parents every Sunday if you're really good kids. Uh, some of you maybe send special letters to your best friends on their birthdays. But my guess is if, if we think about it a little bit, we won't be too hard to find that we have these habits that both fuel and form our love for others. And these habits can be powerful things. Well, the church calendar itself is a love-forming habit. Every year we move through the various seasons of the church calendar And this is a great habit that we're in. This is a great habit that God's beloved have been in since nearly the beginning. And through these habits, our hearts grow more and more in love with God our Savior. Now, the church calendar is sometimes described as being uh, comprised of two different books that are being told. The first book is the book of Christ, and the second book is the book of the Spirit. And so now, today, we are coming to the end of this first book the book of Christ. We have moved through the various chapters of Advent and Epiphany, Lent and Holy Week, and then finally Easter. And like the end of every good book, it's marked with lots of feasts and meals that take place. And today is the great Feast of the Ascension. Next week, we'll celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and we'll have baptisms and a picnic after the service. And then next week, the week after that, we'll celebrate the Feast of Holy Trinity, So as we regularly walk through the pages of these books, or the habits, that is, of the church calendar, I pray that our hearts will be stirred. You see, we're not just learning cool things in our mind. It's not like every year we're just simply looking for new bits of knowledge, although I I hope that happens. But our hearts grow more in love with the God who first loved us. And we are transformed to be more like Jesus Christ so that as the years continue to roll by, when we befriend others, it's as if those friends are befriending Christ himself, that we are a people who are shaped by the stories of God. So like I said, today is the Feast of Ascension. This is when we celebrate that Jesus Christ was lifted into heaven, where he is now seated at the right hand of God. And there's a lot of confusion about this holiday. It's It's not a holiday that folks outside of liturgical traditions usually celebrate. Um, Perhaps this is the first time you've been sitting in a church where the Ascension has been talked about on a day like this, right? So there's a lot of confusion about this. Like, why do we actually celebrate Jesus leaving earth, leaving us, leaving his friends? Why is that something that we would celebrate? And for some of us, this doesn't really feel like a habit of love that we've been practicing, 
but rather it might feel more like a habit of abandonment. It might remind or it might stir up some actual negative uh, feelings and memories that are inside of us. You know, maybe once upon a time you fell in love with someone and then they simply deserted you one day. Or maybe you have a parent in your life who one day just packed up and walked out. And so when you hear today's story of Jesus leaving his friends, maybe you just think, ah, this is typical. I've heard this before. But friends, the ascension couldn't be further from any idea of abandonment. These two things are totally separate from each other. In fact, because of the ascension, we have greater intimacy with God than if Jesus were still walking the earth in bodily form right now. You see, friends, we are not abandoned, but rather we are empowered by the ascension. So in today's scripture readings, uh, Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and uh, the book of Acts, he tells the ascension story twice, and that's kind of to act as a way to like, link these two stories, or these two, his two books together. And the New Testament uh, authors actually love to talk about the ascension of Christ. It comes up again and again and again throughout the New Testament, and I'm going to be pulling from several of these parts, uh, several of these writings. But it's important to know that the early, for the early church, the ascension is the culmination of Christ's work. This is where all things come together. God the Son returns to the throne, but now things are remarkably different. And there are two main ways today that I want to share with us in which Christ's ascension into heaven demonstrates to us his magnificent love. But first, I think we need a little bit of context to understand this. You see, first, we, we need to understand what the role of the high priest was in ancient Judaism. Now, much could obviously be said on this. We could have a, a lovely lecture this morning, and some of you could probably even deliver this to tell us what exactly the role of the high priest was in ancient Judaism. But what I want to point out to us today is that the high priest would make special sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the people. In fact, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would do something quite terrifying. The high priest would go to the temple... And at the altar, he would sacrifice a bull there. And then he would take some of the blood of that offering and he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go beyond the veil and he would sprinkle this blood at various places within the Holy of Holies. And he would be making before God intercessory prayers on behalf of the people. And like I said, this was a terrifying business. Because for the high priest, if that was you, if you were going into the Holy of Holies, you didn't know if you would be able to leave it alive. In fact, this, the high priest would have a rope that was tied upon him, around him, because if God didn't find the priest acceptable, if God didn't find the sacrifice acceptable, if God didn't find his prayers acceptable, he would be struck dead, and all of his buddies outside would have to drag him out by the rope. Not exactly a fun job to have, right? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest, Jesus made a sacrifice of his own, not with a bull, but with his own body, offering a pure, perfect, and complete atonement for the sins of not just one nation, but for all nations. And then Jesus rose from the dead, making a mockery of death itself. And so Jesus' ascension isn't just him leaving earth, no. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, Jesus entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle or temple that is not made with human hands, he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. 
So Jesus, the son of Mary, raised in Nazareth, is now a high priest in heaven. You see, the ascension is the flip side of Advent. Back in Advent, we celebrate the descent of the second person of the Trinity, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, God made man, was always making contacts with others too. He came to us in fleshly form. He was a human. He was born and nursed and swaddled by the Virgin Mary. He was grasped by crowds who pressed in to gain hold of his healing body. He was beaten by the brutal hands of the Roman military. And then he was held by his loving disciples who laid him in a tomb. And then after the resurrection, Jesus is hugged. His wounds are examined. His friends receive food from him. You see, the scandalous claim of Christianity is that this man who was held, who was struck, who was hugged, This man now sits in heaven. You see, Jesus isn't just a conglomeration of mystical teachings or apostolic seances or anything kind of crazy like that. No, as the Apostle John writes in his first epistle, Jesus, or he testifies that that in which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that's which we have looked upon, that which we have touched with our own hands, this Jesus is now enthroned in heaven. He is our advocate. He is our great high priest. Well, I know from meeting with many of you, receiving emails from you and chatting with you, that a lot of you wonder and struggle with whether or not you'll ever be good enough for God. You see where you'd like to be, you see where God is calling you, and there's many things in your life that are sort of holding you back, as if you can't actually go and pursue those things. Maybe it's a mental illness that clouds your thoughts and inhibits you from feeling totally whole. Or maybe it's chronic pain that restrains you from being able to do what you want to do. You have these goals and desires, but you're being restricted and held back by your pain. Or for some of you, maybe it's an addiction. You feel that chained wolf inside of you clawing to get out and act up. Well, friends, know that you aren't alone in your struggles. We have an advocate. Christ, our friend, Christ, our brother, Christ, our king, is seated in heaven praying on our behalf. Not on the merit of of the blood of an animal or anything like that, no, but by his own blood. And sometimes we get glimmers of his prayers actually being answered now. And we could actually probably open the mic and hear beautiful stories of this. But ultimately, we know that there will be a day in which we will be like him. Isn't that not what we heard in Ephesians this morning? We too will be raised to new life and brought within the embrace of the Father. Our illness, our pain, our struggles, these will be taken away forever. The man who we have touched, one of us, has paved the way and now advocates for us in the heavenlies. So that is the first way in which the ascension shows us the love of Christ. And the second way is by the sending of the Spirit. Jesus tells us that he must go to the Father in order to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to be close to all of his sheep, not just a select few who have the means and resources to go and travel to visit him. The Apostle Paul in Romans writes, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, the sending of his Spirit, or through the sending of his Spirit, we have intimate relationship with God. You don't need to make a pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem or wherever Jesus would happen to be to be with him. No, in the Spirit, we have access to him now. 
This is why Jesus tells us in his own words, our I will be with you even to the ends of the even until the end of the ages. And then the Apostle Paul in Colossians says, Our lives are hidden away with Christ. And then the Apostle Peter writes in his first epistle, The Spirit of God's glory rests among us. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit brings us within the loving embrace of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? Well, I think we often take for granted just how life-changing, and not just life-changing this is, but how world-changing this love of Christ is. You know, the early church was severely persecuted. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. We'll be hearing this uh, as our readings through Acts progress uh, through the season after Pentecost. But history also tells us that Christians uh, were often seen as insubordinate to the government. They couldn't be trusted. Christians were regularly imprisoned. They were stoned. They were burned. They were fed to animals. But in spite of all of this, in spite of this heavy persecution, the church rapidly spread. In fact, by the time Christianity was finally legalized in the year 313, followers of Jesus could be found throughout the Mediterranean. They could be found as far south as the middle of Africa. They could be found as far east as India and as far north as the British Isles. The Anglican Church started in the second century, by the way. So nothing else in history compares to this early spread of the church. Nothing else. How else could, and this is before the internet, this is before anyone could email one another or social media or anything like that. Think about it. In the, in, within 300 years, this little religion in the corner of the Mediterranean had spread throughout most of the world. How else can you explain this other than the transformative love of Jesus present in the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, friends, not only has Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit transformed our world, but he's also transformed our individual lives as well. We've all been touched by the Holy Spirit as well. So when Molly and I were living in Alabama, this was several years ago, we found ourselves pregnant again for the third time. And we were thrilled about the idea of growing our family. And the idea, uh, it, it, was, it was a little exciting for us to move from uh, man-on-man defense to now zone defense, also a little terrifying. Uh, and whenever Molly would go in for checkups, though, uh, I would usually stay home and take care of the two other girls. And then she would immediately call me after the appointment and just kind of give me an update. Well, one day Molly went in for an appointment, but I didn't receive that phone call immediately afterwards, like, she, like I usually would. And I called her, and I didn't receive that call back. Uh, and so obviously I start, my mind starts going to worst-case scenario, right? And at this point, we were 13, 14 weeks along. Yeah. Well, as soon as Molly walked in the door, my fears were confirmed. She came home, her face was fallen, and she told me that we had lost the baby. So for a long time, we cried on the couch. We held one another. Uh, We asked ourselves why. Um, I, I honestly can't tell you how long it was that we stayed there and cried. Our kids were wandering around, wondering what had happened. Well, after a little while had passed, uh, I got up and I went to the bathroom to wash my face. And again, there, I collapsed in tears, just crying again uh, there at the sink. And it was in that moment, I felt this weight of a hand upon my shoulder. And there was this presence that filled the room. 
and I knew immediately that it was the hand of Jesus. His presence was absolutely palpable in that moment. And that didn't mean that the pain went away. It didn't mean that that things were healed um, and fixed. But I knew that he was with us. I knew that he was with me in that moment. And no one can ever convince me otherwise in that moment. His presence was so real then and there. And this is what the ascension means to us. It means that through the Holy Spirit, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, we all have access to the loving embrace of Jesus Christ. And some of you have experienced the same thing. Maybe you've experienced it through your prayer life, where the presence of Christ is just so real to you, more real to you than maybe your own hands in front of you. Or maybe he's been revealed to you through the scriptures, where you're struggling with something and you open up the word of God and he speaks to you right there through these words that were written thousands of years ago. Or some of you encounter Christ as you come up for Holy Communion. We celebrate that the presence of Christ is here at the table every single week and I know that soul work is happening as you come forward and I see it in your faces. You know that the presence of Christ is there with us here at the table. And this is because Christ sits upon the throne and he has sent his spirit to us, giving us all access to him. So I'm really excited today because, uh, I, David, I was, I was chatting with Kirk, but did you explain that we have this Kenyan liturgy today? So this is really fun. So we have this Kenyan liturgy that we're, that we're u- going to be using today. And I want you to pay attention, especially during these Eucharistic prayers, I want you to listen for ways in which this liturgy is kind of similar to ours. It's all based on the same roots. We have a common core. But I also want you to hear ways in which this liturgy is different. I want you to hear ways in which um, the words are maybe phrased in a different way. Um, Think of a Kenyan context, perhaps. But I also want us to be reminded of the fact that we are worshiping alongside the global church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's this line that we will all say together. I love this. The lamb who was slain has begun his reign. The, slain, the lamb who was slain has begun his reign. And when we, re, when we say that line together this morning, which we will do in a few moments, may we remember that Jesus Christ, God made man, walked among us. And he now sits upon the throne of heaven and he advocates for us, he prays for us, he identifies with us. And in the abundance of his love, he sent his spirit to both empower the church and to comfort his people across the globe. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we are delighted that we don't need to go um, halfway across the planet to talk to you. That we can actually bow our heads and pray and talk to you and that you hear our words. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see you in clear ways, through the faces of one another, through your blessed sacraments, through the scriptures, Lord. We want to encounter you and see you. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that makes these things possible. Lord, we want to know you and love you more. And we ask all of this in your holy and blessed name. Amen.